prosecution outlined how accounting practices what fuck? What? did not What kind of likeness is that? If they were great artists, they'd be in a museum. I'm fucking fodder for cartoonists now. episode of gutter boys gutter boys is a small press comics podcast about the ins the outs the highs and the lows of making comics i'm your host jb with my co-host cam today's guest stoked about this one uh we are joined with the guy (laughs) the the man the witch man uh simon hanselman la county based cartoonist formerly seattle based formerly tasmania australia based uh you know him you love him uh folks this is a a great great interview so i'm uh, pretty excited about it however i am pretty sure and i have no way of proving this because I'm pretty sure it's um, not possible physically, but I'm pretty sure Simon got me sick somehow. And uh, so I <laughs> I have some sort of uh, weird uh, stomach virus and I woke up in the middle of the night multiple times just throwing up God knows how many gallons of my bodily fluids. Uh, and so that was nice. I'm still a little under the weather, but uh, Working hopefully- Working through illness for the listeners. Yeah. The things we do- the things we do for our listeners. Uh, but no, yeah, the interview's great. Very candid. Very, very candid. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, shout out to Simon, though, for real, because that just proves how cowardly most cartoonists are about talking about how much they're paid. Everybody wants to fucking tiptoe around and say, ooh, you know, I can't really talk about numbers exactly because ooh, the editors are watching. And No, Simon does not give a fuck. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Simon knows if you want to hire Simon, you're going to hire Simon. It doesn't fucking matter mm-hmm. if, if they're talking about how much they're paid per gig. Uh, Uh, And I think that's something that more cartoonists should embrace. I think the more open and candid we are about how much these people are willing to pay us or are paying us, I think that's for the better. And that's the only way we're going to improve, uh, you know, wages for cartoonists anyway. You Uh, hear that, Ramon? Yeah, Ramon's a little fucking coward too. Also, <laughs> be on the lookout for our year-end movie review with uh, Ramon and Daniel, which will be dropping in 2025 at this rate, because yeah. uh, Ramon, I, I guess, just takes fucking forever to edit anything. Okay, so we did a year-end movie podcast with the Flintio boys, and they were going to put it up on their Patreon. I was going to download it, and we were going to steal it and upload it to our Patreon, and that's why we were late on the Patreon. So folks that are subscribers, we definitely appreciate it. Um, We've never been a week late, but this week you will have a bonus episode dropping with this episode with young Nate Garcia. We're going to talk about our favorite shit from the year. Um, So you're going to get two episodes this week. And I guess while I'm carnival barking, gutterboys.top, patreon.com forward slash gutterboys. You can subscribe for extra episodes or zines. So uh, yeah, sorry for being late. It blame Ramon. Yeah, and, Ramon. Uh, maybe take a break from your subway stops and your posting and fucking edit your audio. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I guess uh, news-wise, though, we're going to kind of get out of here kind of quick with just one thing to talk about. But Uncivilized, who put out friend of the show, MS Harkness's book, as well as work from uh, Gabrielle Bell. Uh, Asian-American artist Craig Thompson. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, I'll be honest with you. I like Uncivilized for the most part until uh, what we're about to talk about happened. You know, there was uh, no L's really except for publishing Craig. But hey, I get it. Keep the lights on, bro. Tom Kaczynski, who runs Uncivilized, uh, did an interview over at the Comics Journal and was asked, your podcast definition of Bitcoin was the most lucid one I've heard. And he answered, and now the Uncivilized website takes Bitcoin. Laughter. You can buy comics with Bitcoin. I'm always interested in strange things like that. Recently, I've been more anti-internet, but I've moved past that. I see a lot of potential around crypto. What the fuck does anti-internet mean? It means that you, uh, whenever you go out to dinner with your friends, you all put your phones in the middle of the table, and whoever reaches for their phone first pays. (laughs) (laughs) Some white people shit. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, that's so fucking stupid. God damn. <laughs> uh, yeah, but he said, I've never been more anti-internet, but I've moved past that. I see a lot of potential around crypto, but it's still in the early stages. In a way, I'm returning to the optimism I felt during the early internet. So, uh, cool dude, Zach Hazard, shout out Zach, uh, quote tweeted this and said, Hey, at Unsiv, this is incredibly lame, and I strongly urge you to reverse your policy on crypto. Bitcoin especially is not only environmentally destructive, but also a massive Ponzi scheme propped up by right-wing ideology. Personally, I will not support any publisher accepting crypto. So, uh, Zach cooked this man, and... uh, <laughs> a lot I mean, of to, to be fair, it clearly is not that difficult. <laughs> yeah, my man thought himself out. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> peace and love, Tom. <laughs> hey, nothing but peace and love here. Yeah. So he was going back and forth. And the tweets have been deleted, so I can't even read what Tom was saying. But it wasn't, I don't want to say mean-spirited, but it was definitely argumentative for a while there. He was getting a little defensive. You could tell he was... Definitely. And, uh, you know, peace and love, Tom. But when I go to pull up the thread right now, I see Zach's post and a bunch of, this tweet was deleted by the tweet author. Coward move, Tom. Mm. Coward move. Nobody likes to see that. That's an L. (laughs) So two L's that you've taken today on the podcast by my count. Mm. All right. Um... (laughs) Peace and love, Tom. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for everything you've done. Anyways, so Unsiv has backtracked. All right, so uh, Tom started a multiple tweet thread. One of my favorite things on Twitter. uh, Let's see here. A new short thread about crypto. I want to apologize for my thread on Zach Hazard's post, which expressed concerns about my Bitcoin statements in the interview below. It deserved a more professional response. My responses came out of the left field, lacked any supporting context, and created a lot of confusion. I will delete that thread. You deserve a better explanation. I am working on a personal comics project about Bitcoin and money. I alluded to it in the same thread. In the heat of the moment, I conflated talking about this unlaunched project with my stewardship of Unsiv. The two are unrelated. Oh, great. Another okay. infographics comic. That's great. That's yeah. Drawn on Quarterly. Yeah. If, if Unsived wasn't going to put it out, Drawn on Quarterly would love to have that motherfucker. Yeah. With D&Q's billionaires. fucking keeping their eyes open. <laughs> Yo, you got more graphs than drawings? Damn. I'm wet. Uh, <laughs> peace and love, Drawn on Quarterly. Peace and love. <laughs> so, okay. Second coward move, Tom. Peace and love, though, to Unsiv. Here's the thing, bro. 
you said that the two are unrelated. That's my understanding of that. Is that what you got from that? He said that his personal work and Uncivilized is unrelated and his comments were supposed to be separate from Uncivilized the publisher. Is that what you got from that? Because that's what I got from that. Uh, well, considering he posted it from the Uncivilized Press account, I'm going to go ahead and say, no, that's not what I got from it. <laughs> so what did you get from it? <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying, if, if you want to talk about that stuff... That's just like you and your personal projects unrelated to Uncivilized. Maybe post that shit on your personal account. No, no, no. Yeah, definitely. That's what I'm saying. So like, because the original quote, I don't buy it because he's saying that what he meant in the interview oh, yeah, was no, my that's personal just project. Like that's. Yeah, yeah because no, literally the, the quote is, and now the Uncivilized website takes Bitcoin. You can buy comics with Bitcoin. Well, see, Cam, like, that's an unrelated personal project. It's called Uncivilized <laughs> Press. <laughs> oh, different from Uncivilized Books. Yeah, yeah, I got not you. to be okay, confused, okay, right, okay. yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, okay. So, uh, you know, peace and love to Uncivilized. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I would, I would reconsider. Um, I don't really buy the statement, Tom. Um, you know, if you put out a banger of a book, I will buy it with my boomer money or PayPal you know, whatever, but I will not be buying shit with crypto. I think it's a bad look. And honestly, here's my assessment too. Peace and love to Unsiv, but they're not moving enough units, I would think, to even warrant taking Bitcoin, right? Right. Like, Wait, I, like, it's small press. What, are you going to ask Kickstarter if they can accept Bitcoin? <laughs> yeah, like, like, what are you going to do? Like, sell Bitcoin, like, sell a comic for Bitcoin, like, three times? Yeah. You know, like, where's the fucking... Doesn't like, make sense. I don't see the market. Like, so it's a weird hill to, like, you know, he was arguing with Zach at first, like, almost willing to die on the hill. So, <laughs> one, like, it's not worth a hill worth dying on for small press. Two, like, you said, oh, this is separate. I meant it to be interpreted as separately. You literally said, uncivilized takes Bitcoin, brother. So it's okay to say, hey, I fucked up. But don't say, here's my statement on the matter. You misunderstood me. Well, we clearly <laughs> understood you, brother. Tom, I'm on your side on this. I think everybody's stupid. And I think uh, I think you're right. Mm -hmm. uh, I think mm -hmm. um, I think you guys should accept Bitcoin and, and multiple other uh, fraudulent things as well. You know, I think uh, I think opening up the market to uh, tech dumbasses is like a huge important move and a positive step uh, in terms of comics and retail. So, uh, you know, more power to you, man. Yeah, honestly, you know what idea I just came up with right now? Drawn and Quarterly, if you're listening to this, I don't know if you all do, but if this gets back around to you, sell a PDF of that billionaire's book as an NFT, and y'all will be able to publish books for like 10 years. Yeah, that's that's so, true. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 101, y'all be able to do it. And then, you know, Uncivilized Press can- uh, Can they make uh, an NFT of Craig Thompson pulling his eyes back? <laughs> a GIF? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dude, that'd be a hot seller. Harder to save on Google, bro. <laughs> <laughs> can't save them shits right to your phone without no <laughs> no yeah exactly takes a couple more steps yeah so uh i think you're onto something right there oh, i know i am I, and it's not yeah. at all because i'm heavily medicated right now <laughs> <laughs> hell yeah all right well uh yeah that's the news for this episode uh this is a really good one like we were saying so uh yeah stick around for simon hanselman we'll be right back 
Rust Belt Review is a quarterly comics lit magazine featuring serialized and short form comics from some of the most exciting cartoonists in the small press scene today. Volume 1 features work from Gutter alums M.S. Harkness, Audra Stang, and Caleb Arecchio, along with work by Andrew Greenstone, Sean Knickerbocker, and Juan Jose Fernandez. You can order your copy of Rust Belt Review today by going to rustbeltreview.org. Enter in promo code GUTTER to receive two bucks off your order. Again, that website is rustbeltreview.org. Promo code GUTTER. One day while combing the beach, Ambar and Alana discovered a pair of beautiful medallions. What happened next changed their lives forever. The Santos Sisters will have you laughing from cover to cover as they fight crime, date dumb dudes, and just deal with everyday life as young women in the world. Coming in at a whopping 56 pages. This comic is printed with a four-color web press on decadent newsprint. All that for just five bucks? The number one source for underground comics in Chicago, Quimby's, says this about our comic. A style that's part Archie, part superhero, part snark, but it's all fun. And we think that's just sick. The Santos Sisters is available now in select comic book stores and online at santosisters.com. The Last Aviatrix is a post-nuclear adventure comic by independent Los Angeles-based cartoonist Buster Cagle. The story follows Summer, our last aviatrix, who pilots the sole surviving airplane, a nuclear-powered B-29, as she travels the ruined world finding ways to survive and help humanity while dealing with the eminent threat of the Atomborn, a rare breed of atomic wizards that want to see her out of the sky. Her mission becomes complicated when she accidentally picks up Henry, an Atomborn child who wields incredible power, and Clementine, a berserker on a quest for vengeance. Can our aviatrix survive this ruined and irradiated waste land? Every issue can be read for free on BusterKegel.com slash comics. Paper copies can be ordered as well, but, you know, you can still read it for free. If you like Wizards or Warplanes, go check it out. Now, back to our program. Try to reach like a 20 cunt minimum. I'll be hitting 100 at least. Gordon Ramsay fucking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just, I, I did a talk recently for the, uh, like the Lakes Festival. And at the end, they were like, well, we've never had anyone say cunt so much. <laughs> I'm Australian. I don't know. They seemed a bit uncomfortable with it. Maybe there were a bunch of children in the audience. Anyway. You could say Sheila instead. Yeah, no, I say Sheila all the time. They're fucking Sheilas. Yeah. There you go. Since I moved to America, I really like embraced all that Australianness. I'm proud of it. <laughs> when you're outside you of it, yeah, you know, it's it used to be sort of not embarrassed, but like, ugh. Oh, yeah, yeah, grass is always greener, you know. Of course, it's nice to feel exotic as well. Oh yeah, for sure. You know, down at the Chick Fil A, saying hello to all the Sheilas and stuff. And, you know, <laughs> they, they, they love it. They love it. Uh. <laughs> All right, let's bring it in. All right, and welcome back from the break. Uh, today we are here with, you know who he is, Simon Hanselman, Australian cartoonist, recently relocated to L.A., right? Uh, it's Santa Clarita Valley. I, I wouldn't live in okay. L.A. if you paid me. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm out in the valley, out in the peaceful valley. 
Hell yeah. You like it uh, compared? Because you were in, was it Seattle before that? Yeah, Seattle for like five years. Did you like it there? Before that, it was, yeah. Did you did you yeah. feel like it was time to go? Why'd you relocate to LA? Well, uh, well quote yeah, unquote, I, LA. I had a kid. Yeah, I had a kid, so I needed to move down here. My wife's family's down here, so we get the you know, childcare assistance. So I didn't draw for like six months there. I was just dadding it and just being a present, responsible father. Right. So yeah, I moved down here for childcare, but uh, yeah, I, I was happy to move on. You know, five year itch, I suppose. You can only live somewhere for so long without getting a little bit bored. You know, there's mm. a couple of restaurants I miss from Seattle, but that's about it, really. I- <laughs> I'm generally, Which ones? Uh, uh, Bar del Corso, a nice Italian joint, and uh, Spinace, another very posh Italian place that had these lovely uh, Cipollini onions, these hand-stuffed like little meatballs and, and little onions. Uh, there was just one guy that could do them, and he went on holiday, and it was, it was horrible. I, I miss them. I miss those. Damn, so you could tell when it happened? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they, they hyped it up. But yeah, I love my Italian food. The, the Italian food here is just shit. It's just, uh, it's, it's just unbearable. It's, it's the worst, like, fucking Chuck E. Cheese style Italian. Uh. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's nice. You know, it's raining today, so it's a bit like, Seattle-ish, but I'm enjoying the sunshine and the palm trees. And so, I mean, Josh Pettinger started hanging out a lot. He comes out every week and we hang out in my studio and draw and shoot the shit. And, you know, he's from the Isle of Wight. I'm from Tasmania. So, we both like island boys from the Commonwealth and, you know, we, we both like just, it's like Malcolm in the Middle around here. We walk the dog around the neighborhood and it's just so fucking American and it's, to, to <laughs> us, it's very fascinating. It's, you know, it just feels like being in a TV show. You think you'll ever move back to Australia? No, probably not. I mean, I don't know. My family are unreliable and my wife's family are all sort of decent people. So, <laughs> I, you know, yeah, no, I can't imagine it. And they've had all that lockdown tyranny down there. Like, you know, my buddy Grant's there and he's, you know, he's immunocompromised. So, it's been tough for him during the whole pandemic shit. But, you know, it's just, yeah, they've just locked everything down. You know, you've got all the tradies, the tradesmen out there protesting, doing their mental fucking protests. And, uh, yeah, I just think it's just difficult for everyone, mental illness and just being trapped in the fucking house. And I, I love it. I love being trapped in the house. Lock me down, you know. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, no, it's Australia just seems weird. They had the military out on the streets in Sydney or something, like enforcing Whoa. the lockdown. It's, it seems a tad draconian, but, you know, for good reason, perhaps. I don't know. I'm not going to get into the whole science of the whole thing. Don't want to get banned. Don't want to get, you know, don't want to get taken. Don't want to get your Anti-vaxxer podcast taken Simon down. Simon Hanselman. Yeah, oh, yeah, oh, strong opinions. <laughs> yeah, no, happy where I am right now. I'm enjoying the new house, and uh, the old house was in infested with ants and you know having a newborn like just had to lock up all of her powders and her milks and just everything in bags just like infested with ants for like two years it was it was fucking unbearable in the end you couldn't yeah. flush the toilet you had to have a sign that you put on the toilet that said like i need to be flushed so you know, rest <laughs> you open the lid and like oh fucking hell like so it's yeah weak pipes flooding basement ants everywhere and uh and a lot of street shitters in, uh, in my neighborhood in the end uh just, just three times a day i'd see people doing poos along uh, rainier avenue and just just endless defecation and i haven't seen anyone do a poo in the two months i've been out here in the valley so that's been nice that's a good uh, sign yeah yeah and go, my, go down yeah. to downtown la 
that that'll change. Oh, definitely, <laughs> definitely, but not out here. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah right. When I go to the supermarkets out here, there's not a guy calling me a faggot. Like there's this <laughs> guy that constantly <laughs> screaming the f word at me, and it's like that's not ingratiating me to you. I'm not going to give you five bucks now. You've just called me a fucking slur. Like what do you? What's the <laughs> yeah. thought process here? So that was confusing. Got to play mental chess. That's when you give him ten bucks. Really blows oh, yeah, mind. surprise him. 4D yeah. chess. What a move. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's how you love do it. in the valley. No, no pooping in the streets, and I don't get called a faggot. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I want to. I want to ask you a, a hotly debated question. Um, did you have any involvement with graphic novel is dead? <laughs> I did not. Uh, uh, I, I did make a couple of submissions. I, I made some uh, Noah Berlatsky submissions. Uh, it was like the the pedophile from the Todd Salons movie Happiness with the caption. Ooh, very uh, nice. Yeah, because he, yeah. he's the comms director for Prostasia, which is like Nambler 2.0. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know if you're up to date on all that Berlatsky drama. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I had nothing to do with the running of it. I, I suspect the Chicago-based, I believe. You know, I, I was trying to figure out who it was. Uh, I thought it was Max Morris for a while, but it was too edgelordy. I don't think it would be him. It could be Sean Starr, like a lower tier sort of blog critic who kind of disappeared. And I'm not sure of his politics, so it may have been him. I I don't know. But it was hmm. someone so you're quite just like no- the rest yeah. of us doing detective work. Yeah. It was someone quite <laughs> knowledgeable. They had a deep knowledge of the scene. and uh, For sure. Yeah, I enjoyed the account. Some of it was a bit too edgy for me and like, oh, that's a bit rough. I, you know, I don't like that. But some of it was mm-hmm. quite funny. I saw. Uh, I still think uh, it's Chris Ware. It could be. It could be. <laughs> I, I saw Ryan Sands. The you know the Ryan Sands. He's kind of dropped out of comics recently, but used to do Youth in Decline. He was policing okay. who were who was lo- liking it and looking at it. I saw him on Twitter like harassing Fantagraphics and accusing them of it being their finster and. Uh, and just, he was saying, like, how do you, a couple of you liking this? Your parents, your adults, and kind of, yeah, harassing people that I knew. Who gives a fuck? It's the well, internet. <laughs> it was pathetic. It was like, it seemed creepier for him to be going around policing who was liking it and, like, looking at all mm-hmm. the likes. And then he was like, oh, I'm glad I don't have to see you at festivals and pretend to be nice to you. And it's like, you just sound like a cunt. Like, okay, Mr. <laughs> Virtue, but... Yeah, anyway, the, the, it was a yeah. funny Instagram. It ended, you know, they, they got their wish, all the uh, the naysayers on Twitter. It's, you know, there's a bit of a hubbub about it. Not that anyone cares. I mean, it's, you know, it's fucking comics and who gives yeah, a fuck? Yeah, it's over now anyways. You know, it's, it's all a tiny fucking blip in the eye of the fucking universe. It's, uh, it's not a proper comic scene without a few psychotics running around. Well, yeah, you need your Victor Kairos and stuff. You. <laughs> You, you Absolutely. Need you, yeah. It's, I, yeah. You know, I'm 40 years old in a couple of weeks. You know, I grew up on all that, you know, venomous fucking crazy batshit insanity. I, I like it. I, you know, there's not enough of it anymore. I loved graphic novels as dead and I unashamedly say that. I put the caveat in earlier that I didn't like all of it. Ooh, I disapproved of some of it, but you know, some of it was funny. Yeah, no, sure, agreed. Yeah. yeah, some of it yeah. was funny. Like, and I think that a sane person can acknowledge that. So, like, yeah. you know, someone policing some likes, you know, it's like, dude, it, some of this shit's funny. I don't agree with all of it. <laughs> but truly, some of this shit is funny. Behavior. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah the, the Kim O'Connor one for her as the McCloskey woman was just like had me in fucking stitches. Like, <laughs> and the one of Ed Pissor as um as the guy from Succession doing the rap song. Like, you know, was, <laughs> some of them are fucking great. 
<laughs> yeah, when it hit, it hit. Yeah. Overall, you know, I get the you know disdain for it. I guess um, you know we get we get some of that runoff where people think that we're too quote unquote edgy, but we just don't give a fuck. Like it's just funny. Like shit's just funny, and I think you should be able to laugh. But yeah, I, you know, I mean, obviously from my work, I just do whatever the fuck I want. I'm not really concerned about naysayers, and you know, I, it I, is I, interesting. I, you know, yeah, you brought that up though. You're pretty much like, you know, making like, you know, I would say this is, you know, the biggest you've ever been in your career. You know, it's been an upward trajectory, I feel like, for got a decade now, which is crazy. But I feel like, uh, you know, Crisis Zone specifically had like a lot of eyes on it. And you truly just don't give a fuck in that book. Like uh, everything that you did in that book just kind of solidifies what you said that you just don't give a fuck. So did you just consciously make that decision? I feel like your work has always kind of been a little reckless in the sense of not really caring about the audience and the perception of it. But is that something that you consciously had to like battle with yourself about like hey I'm gonna stop giving a fuck and just do what I want like did you have to police yourself internally how'd you get to just doing what you want the art I like has always been you know like Todd Salons I mentioned earlier like you know I love Todd Salons he's fucking nuts and you know he did a sympathetic portrayal of a pedophile and happiness like you know it was ballsy you know, I just, it's real life to me. Real life is, you know, beautiful and horrible and complicated. And so I, I just don't believe in censoring yourself or really, you know, just, I don't know. I don't want to be hamstrung. And, yeah, the crisis zone just, you know, balls to the wall. Just like, ah, oh, fuck it. Like, I just come at me, dog. Like, I just, you know, yeah, that's what people want. I, I you know, it's just honesty and art. You know, I don't, I don't ever want to be like sitting here all nervous. Like, oh, no. That's, that's sad. Yeah, no, totally. So, it's been like a whirlwind of press for you with like Crisis Zone. Like, I feel like the book was everywhere. Like, was that super weird for you? How did you, I mean, I know you're doing like quote unquote press right now talking to us, but I mean, like, you know, I guess JB and I are involved in the quote unquote scene. So I feel like we get it more than like average reporters and so forth. Was that really like jarring for you to do? Or do you feel like you were prepared for that? Eh, it was business as usual, really. Uh, yeah, you know, shout out to David Hyde who did the little press. He, like, you know, my wife was on maternity leave, who's the publicist at Fanta, which is always a conflict of interest. It always feels a bit weird for both of us when she has to do the press. But, yeah, David Hyde was doing it and it was kind of the same kind of deal. I mean, just a bunch of people talk about the book and review it. So I didn't see a huge difference there. More geek websites. David certainly got me on, like, Geek Nation and, you know, <laughs> which is good. You know, it was nice to be on, yeah. like, nerdier websites and outside of the regular alt comic circle jerk and, you know, try and get, like, some IGN gaming nerds to read Crisis Zone. You know, they're all bigots probably and uh, incels, so they love it probably. Um, great new market for, for Crisis <laughs> Crisis Zone, bigots and incels, you know, I'll take yeah. the money, I'll, I'll take it. Um, yeah, I'll, make that money. i got diapers to buy, you know, fuck it. Exactly. Throw their money away. Yeah, no, it's it it business as usual with all the press. I mean, you know, I was, wasn't, you know, it's, yeah, it's, you know, the same old shit, just doing interviews for the usual suspects and some geeks this time. Uh, you know, I, I wanted to get on fucking, you know, Kimmel or Rogan or something, but, or Gutfeld, the number one talk show in America, but, uh, <laughs> you know, they just, you know, like Harvey Pico used to go on fucking Letterman back in the day. and Oh, yeah, yeah. I feel like Conan used to get authors and stuff on instead of a musical guest, like, every couple of weeks, and you don't really get that anymore. I, you know, no one really cares about comics. Even Raina Telgemeier can't get on fucking Kimmel. You know, it's a sad state of affairs. You got to get a streaming show, buddy. Yeah, I guess. I, I turned down a big... T you mean like me having a TV show? 
Yeah, I remember yeah. there was some no, buzz around about that. Turned that yeah. down last year. I mean, I've talked to all the dickheads over the year, Funny or Die and Fox and Adult Swim. And it just, I think I'm too crazy and too controlling because I'm used to all the autonomy from comics and just, you know, not having to yeah. deal with other cunts. Uh, and, you know, producers are a nightmare. But yeah, it got pretty close last year, but the script was just abominable. And uh, it was just, yeah, I, I made the, I think I made the writer of it cry in a Zoom call. <laughs> I, Good yeah. call. Good I, call. I, I called yes. their writing saccharine and, and kind of really didn't pull any punches. Like they, they really just murdered the spirit of what Megan Mogg was. And uh, yeah, I guess they're not used to having anyone criticize them. So it was, you know, even just being called saccharine was enough to just break them. Um, <laughs> were these people that weren't familiar with the source material or were they advised probably from, you know, above to kind of sweeten it a well, bit. No, this was a you know a small production company who had a good pedigree and you know I, I get a lot of production companies reaching out to me constantly like you know the fucking can't remember the names all the big talent agencies and talent agencies in LA all like oh what are the rights and but this was a small production company and they sent a really impassioned letter and like you know they obviously loved the material you know that certain producer just you know really convinced me that wow they 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 get it and this could be a good mm -hmm. option and um and the, the millionaire hollywood comedian who wrote the script was a fan of the work i knew that they were a fan of the work and um but they really just sort of pushed their own shit onto it they were you know going through a bit of a i think political meltdown perhaps and uh put all of that into megan mogg and i mean i guess i had my own political meltdown during crisis zone and that, that was sort of a political comic on purpose but but you know a horrible one and a challenging one but yeah, this wasn't that. And, and communication broke down between uh, everyone involved. Uh, not my fault. I was trying to contact people and like, what the fuck's going on with the script? And can someone answer me? But they just ignored me and then finally mm. gave me the script. And it was just a fucking nightmare and got the fuck out of it as quick as I could. But, you know, and I'm talking to more cunts now. I talked to like MGM or something like last year, but then just I started ghosting them because I was like, oh, no. And now I'm talking to someone else who seems cool again. And uh, I, I don't think they'll shock me and turn out to be a scumbag. But yeah, just all this Hollywood shit. It's horrible. You know, it's I, I, yeah. I've never been involved or, you know, any kind of those dealings like do you not want control or are they not willing to give it to you? No, I want full control. That's like the thing I'm doing right now. I'm only doing it because it's, you know, I get full control over the art direction, the writing, everything. It's a small stakes thing. It's just like a short and, uh... You know, looking over the contract right now, it's a big fucking 20-page fucking contract. It's a major fucking, you know, f I don't know, AT&T-owned fucking thing. Like, it's terrifying. It's I like zines. I like comics. I like the control. You know, Fanographics is really cool and straightforward with the contracts, and it's all industry-standard royalties, and I've never had a problem with payment, you know, from pretty much all my – I have, like, 14 publishers around the world, like, in all different yeah. – you know, and they're, they're all good. It's all small operations, you know, not being fucked over yet. Even Alvin Bonaventura, who was famous for fucking people over and paid Matt Fury in pills for all the Boys Club's comics, uh, he never fucked me over. Except when he killed hmm. himself and he owed me 10 grand, and it's like, oh, it's all right. <laughs> but he, I don't, you know, I don't hold that against him, you know. Fuck. <laughs> so, when you're, you know, being like, I guess, wind and dine and shopping this stuff around, are you pretty adamant about wanting control? I know this current project is like low stakes, but like, is it like really weird to be in these meetings where they're used to like people just willing to sign over everything? 
Yeah, I perversely really enjoy it, just being really hardcore and just like playing, you know, playing a hard game and just, you know, mm-hmm. not, not, just not going to let them fuck me. And I think they're not used to it. Because, you know, as SBX, you got Nickelodeon prowling around, trying to, like, you know, oh, you know, all these idiots want, oh, Netflix deal, like, oh, but it's not attractive to me having to do constant zooms with like 50 different people and having everyone finger fuck your property and try and bend it to their will. It's so, and the money's not even that good. I think the, the contract I'm looking at now, it's like eight grand or something. It's mm. like that, that's oh, wow. that's not a lot of money to like you know sign like you know dealing with fucking Disney or something. Like you, I don't know, you expect more. You know, you can become a millionaire, I suppose, if you get to like you know third or fourth season syndication, like merchandising. But coming in entry level, like I, you know, I think they used to offer me like. I think Adult Swim was talking like three grand, five grand an episode or something. And I said, well, <laughs> I, I, you know, if I apply myself and make zines, you know, every day and sell them as much as I can and promote them, I can make that much money on my own and, and not have to deal with the devil. Right. Honestly, yeah. The, the whole thing's horrible. I, I've never, you said shop around. Like, I've never shopped anything around. They they come to me. They come to you. Hell yeah. All right. I, I think it's like when I blew up on Tumblr in 2012. Like, you know, I had Koyama Press, Picture Box, Fanographics all these offers coming at me and you know they saw they could make money on the work like you know just to put it bluntly like you know they saw it blowing up and getting a bit popular and they're like oh we can make money on this like so that's what these producers are doing. They, you know, they say, "Oh, New York Times bestseller," and like, "Oh, you know, well, Geek Nation's writing about it." Like, "Oh, Geek Nation, what oh, shit? Let's get onto this." And you know, how, how can we ruin it? And and then they come with their offers. What would you say made Fanagraphics? Because you've been faithful to them since the first book. So obviously you like the working relationship there. But like, what was it about them over the other companies when you're, you know, fielding offers for the book? I mean, I'd always idolize Fanagraphics. Like, I always liked, right. you know, fucking Woodring and Clouds and stuff. And they're just like the shit they put out. And, you know, they have mm-hmm. good distro and whatnot. And, you know, they're distributed by W.W. W. Norton and doing all their posh peanuts books. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it just seemed like the most viable option. I mean, you know, desperate and like. I was about to turn 30 in like, what, 2011 or something. And I think, I, you know, I was sending out stuff to top shelf and like lower tier publishers and you can kind of like, you know, desperate. Um, but then, yeah, no one gave a shit. Top shelf passed me up, fucking dickheads. They were like, oh, no, it looks a bit like paper rad. Like, no, I'm not really into this. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you're just throwing a lot, of mo- a lot of money away there over the last decade, haven't you, fuckheads? Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah, you know, I just, yeah, went with Fanner. I mean, Pitcherbox, Pitcherbox shut down anyway. And like, I think he made Johnny Negro and pay back in advance. You know, I think Nadell said, you know, can you pay back that $1,000, Johnny, which he wasn't happy about, obviously. So that would have been a, a bad decision. You know, obviously, Annie Koyama's lovely, one of the nicest people in comics. So, you know, Koyama mm-hmm. wouldn't have been terrible. But yeah, I don't know. I like Fanta. They've, they've always been good to me. And I've been offered, like, I think I was offered, like, uh, 30K as an advance for Bad Gateway in uh, 2019 from some big, you know, mainstream publisher. But, you know, I, I don't want to work with them because then, you know, they control what's on the cover. They'd edit the content. And, you know, you're never going to make more than that advance. Like, you know, you're never going to see any more money than that. So, I, I'd prefer to get, like, a smaller advance and just hopefully the book does well and it's well promoted and I promote it myself. And, you know, I can hopefully sell enough and make that much money. Mm-hmm. 
So it's interesting to hear you talk so candidly, you know, about numbers, because that's something that we talk about on the show is like, you know, sustainability as a cartoonist. And, you know, it's kind of surprising to hear these figures coming from like the studios. So you mentioned that's kind of, you know, you like making comics and being involved with that. I feel like you're kind of, uh, you know, obviously the exception to the rule, like showing that you can definitely make money off of comics. Like there's a lot of people that say, you know, you can't make money on comics, but, you know, you're still doing zines, you're still doing big books. So you're tied into kind of all aspects. Do you feel like you have to hustle to make that? Like, what do you think sustainability in comics looks like in the future? Do you think it's going to be continuing at the pace that you're at? I feel like specifically you and Alex Graham during the pandemic kind of changed the way Instagram was functioning with the swipe comics regularly. Yeah, we, we, yeah, we smashed it. I mean, we just stole it from Ben Mara. You know, he was already doing it. Oh, yeah, um, true, true. Uh, but, but, yeah, I feel yeah, like we, we defined it in a way. <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, like, do you feel like, you know, do you think it's changing like to where sustainability looks different or do you think it's going to be continuing on the path that you're already doing? Well, I'm at a crossroads now, right now. Like, I want to get the fuck off Instagram because I've got like several strikes against my name for content. and I can't post links in my stories to like a website or anything anymore. Like, they're limiting functions. So, you know, why the fuck would I continue with that? You know, I've built a big audience, but I'm being, yeah, you know, oppressed. <laughs> You know, it's like, what do I, you know, it's like Josh Pettinger was sending out some zines the other week to like Australia and they just got knocked back. Like you can't post stuff to Australia right now through UPS. So I think FedEx mm-hmm. you can, but like, you know, shipping's going up. So is it tenable to still do zines and ship zines and dealing with all the customer service and things going missing and import taxes? Like, you know, I was like, do I do a fucking Substack or something or a Patreon or, you know, go a digital model and... You know, because Crisis Zone was accessible. It was just on the phone. Anybody could access it. That was the point of it. It was like a free gift to people during the pandemic. We're all having this horrible fucking frightening time. Here's a bunch of free fucking comics. Here you go. You don't have to order them for $10 and wait for them to turn up in the mail, hopefully. like Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know what the future's going to look like. I feel like Instagram's starting to burst. You know, like Penelope Gazen got like, you know, had her account almost taken away for like being a cancer survivor and saying that cancer's a bitch and it can't get me. And she got struck for bullying and harassment, calling her own cancer a bitch. Like, just how the fuck can you survive on that platform as a, you know, someone who likes to swear mildly or survive yeah. cancer? That's bad. See, I, you know, I, I, I don't know. I just, the way I've done it is just like working fucking constantly being a workaholic and finding a lot of joy in that and just being a machine. Consistency, like the manga market, like manga's the popular shit. And I, I think because it's coming out regularly, like, you know, it's, agree, it's, yeah. it's very reliable. You know, there's guys are workhorses, guys and girls and whatever, and gentle thems and vadies. They're, they're pumping it out. So, you know, I just pump it out, try to keep a level of consistency. And I think Sammy Harkin told me early on in my career, like, just don't let people forget you. Take every opportunity you can that's not clearly a fuckhead running it. And, yeah, just just keep consistent, keep smashing it out. And, and yeah, you know, still do the zines, do the, the trade, library market books, you know, try to go to the festivals if you can. I, I still lose money. Like, I go to Cake and, like, I, I lose money there, you know. Like, I don't make back my flights or my Airbnb, you know, but it's nice to just hang out in a backyard and watch a noise set with, I was going to say the name of a severely cancelled cartoon. It's not a good example, but, you know. Like, yeah, <laughs> you know, hanging out with Andy Burkholder and Blaise Lamy. Cool! <laughs> but, yeah, you know, just, just 
just, yeah, you know, I fuck, I don't know. It's just, it's always a grind. I'm still grinding. I'm hustling. My, my rent's more than what it was. I got a kid now. I, I have less work time in a day. So I'm just fucking smashing it still. It's always a grind. It's always stressful, but, you know, gotta pay the bills. Going back to manga and how successful it is and has been, you have to look at the cultural differences in terms of like how the medium is kind of perceived in Japan. Do you ever see the U.S. going that way in terms of actually respecting the medium in that way or making it mainstream? Because, you know, you go on a train in Tokyo and there's businessmen just reading manga. Yeah, just jacking off to it like crazy. Like, yeah. Oh, sure, sure. I mean, that's <laughs> happening too, yes. But you just find like I mean, it's, crusty shown it's, jumps in the trash cans everywhere. It seems to be far more well accepted. Yeah, well, you know, Italy and, uh, you know, France as well. I mean, you know, Franco-Belgian mm -hmm. bullshit or whatever. Oh, yeah. I mean, Cam, you always talk about, you know, the European market in comics and how it's just black and white compared to the U.S. Yeah, yeah, totally. That's where you want to make money or that's where you will make money uh, if you can get it over there. Do you see that happening here? And if not, how do you think we could get to that point? Uh, you know, I mean, we just got to put all our money on Raina Telgemeier and just hope all those kids grow up and start reading, like, you know, picture box books or something. I mean, yeah, you know, I, I'm, I'm happy about all the YA shit. I mean, it's not for me, obviously, because I'm a 40-year-old man and I, you know, I think yeah. most I of mean, it's garbage. I mean, there's definitely 40-year-old men consuming it. So. Well, yeah, a lot of librarians, Arrested Development type characters sitting around in their cat basements <laughs> reading children's comics and uh, trying to sell it to adults, uh, you know, certain critics that are too old to be reviewing that stuff and it's like, oh, what are you doing? <laughs> But yeah, you know, that's great that kids are becoming more comics literate. And I don't know if eventually they will segue into more adult fare or they'll just cast it aside. And, right. you know, we're obviously dealing with TikTok and Netflix and technology and Fortnite. That's, you know, going to be always be more popular. But yeah, I, I don't know. I, I feel like I was really worried at the start of the pandemic that it'd really fuck over comics and like worried for fanographics they'd have to do another embarrassing kickstarter or something uh but they did really well and i think 2020 was one of my best sales years ever because you know people were trapped and you know they wanted to buy i don't know this there was less tv or something because the shutdown so people were like oh I'm, i guess i'm forced to buy a fucking book then and you know a lot of people didn't have money but tech cunts did and they're the type of nerds that will buy you know funky hey comics like cool like so yeah you know we're Josh was just saying the other day, he feels like it's a golden age for comics again. And, you know, I'm kind of inclined to agree. There's a lot of great comics, a lot of different stuff for everyone. And it's just diverse and varied and yeah, all sorts of cunts. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, maybe in the future we will get to the, the businessman wanking on the trains. But I, I, I don't think we'll ever reach that level. It's, you know, we've... The daily cartoons have gone away, the the alt weeklies, like, you know, does anyone read Kathy in the paper still? Are they still running Kathy? I, I, no one reads newspapers. So. Does the New York Web Times, uh, New York the Times website of comics? I don't think it does. Uh, where's Garfield gone? On his own website, floating like an island. He has a restaurant. That's what he's doing. Hey, really? Oh, a lasagna restaurant? Uh, I'm sure it has lasagna on the menu, it's and I'm sure it's terrible. Fucking better. Garfield's, uh, I just, uh, apparently there's like a uh, new Super Smash Brothers type game coming out from uh, Nickelodeon and Garfield is in it as uh, downloadable content, but you can't play as Garfield on Mondays, which I think is pretty tight. That is pretty good. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, pretty good bit. <laughs> yeah, I think that game already came out, didn't it? There's a oh, okay. There's a uh, well, the, yeah, there's a Warner Garfield's Brothers coming out. There's a Warner Brothers one where you can like have Arya Stark fighting Scooby Doo and stuff. Uh, hmm. But yeah, I think the Nickelodeon one came out with your, your powdered toast man, and I was surprised by that because John Kay's like a pedo. Like, yeah, he's cancelled, cancelled. Yeah, I don't even think he owns that stuff though anymore. Does he? Yeah, I, I, maybe he doesn't because, I mean, after he left, they kept doing it like Bob Camp and stuff and less pedophilic yeah. uh, people running it. And, yeah. Yeah, I love making John Kay jokes. Yeah. <laughs> it's an endless well. His apology letter just seemed like grooming. Like, it was just- <laughs> It was full of children's drawings and just like remember the good times and just like oh, That's, I again, didn't see it, sticking to the bit. Yeah. I like it. Yeah, well, yeah, he's dying on that hill. Um, yeah, the ooh. pedo hill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, respect him for Burlatsky's that. I suppose. Out there. Yeah. <laughs> he's rubbing his hands like Birdman. Yeah, doing the comms direction for it. Yeah. <laughs> So, you used to do these comics, Truth Zone, where you would just, you know, do commentary on the scene. And oh, yeah. you haven't done that, you know, in a few years. Is that something you're not wanting to do anymore? Is it something you purposely don't do because you feel like it's a different time? Oh, I'd love to. I'd love to do it. <laughs> I'd love to roast the fuck out of people. There's so many roastable <laughs> fucking sad douchebags um, out there. Like, just, just whiny cunts. Like, I'd love to give them what's for, but it's not worth the hassle. It's like, you know, I, I don't I don't tweet big opinions. I, I I don't want to drag people down like you know it, it, that was mm-hmm. the criticism in the end of truth zone that it was like mean-spirited and you know oh he's punching down on box brown and like Arr. there was one particular critic who was just moaning and moaning about it and like big you know cancellation kind of fucking write up on their blog and like no one cares who they are but you know some of it was valid criticism like you know when there is valid criticism to be had i'll take it no but i think people missed the point of a lot of the points I was making and, you know, took it as harsher than it was. But, yeah, I just don't want to deal with that bullshit anymore. And uh, I I put a lot of that into the crisis zone. I mean, you know, it was called crisis zone, like truth zone. It was kind of like truth zone, but applied to the internet politics and and reality and the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So, the the spirit of it lived in in crisis zone. Yeah, I just, I I know too much as well. Like, I I did write (laughs) a a third uh, truth zone zine in like 2017 that went unreleased. Um, Because, yeah, my wife was kind of like, you can't, you can't write about that stuff. Like, that's, you know, deep knowledge and things that could really get people in trouble. And I was like, you know, it's okay. Yeah, you know, better not do this. Yeah, it was, you know, it was very pie-eyed and optimistic when I first started doing Truth Zone, you know, I was in Australia and starting to get some heat from the US scene and, you know, making friends with people on Tumblr. It was kind of this golden age and for web, you know, alternative web comics or whatever. So, you know, m- most of the, the Frank Santoro run of Truth Zone was very positive. It's just, it started to get darker around like 2016, 17, when I think just in general culture on the internet started to get more aggressive and we saw factions start to really take hold and start to go after each other. And, you know, I was writing about that. How could I not? I, you know, it's it's there that element of just you know you know all your all your Twitterati versus the comics gate cunts. You know, I, I see them as you know two sides of the same coin, really, just an ideological battle. And I feel like Malcolm in the middle, and I just want to make fun of them all. Yeah. No, for sure. That's your second Malcolm in the Middle reference. I'm just keeping count here, along with the cunt count. Oh, there'll be Sorry. many more. There'll be many more. <laughs> yeah, these, these bastards aren't the boss of me anymore. Hey, hey there you go. Two for one. 
I met Frankie Muniz when I was like 22. His uh, band played at a bar in my college town. Fuck yeah. Yeah. Um, Wait, was he was, good? They play. Yeah. yeah. He played drums. They were not good. Um, but <laughs> so they pull up, though, and they're in like a Mercedes Benz, like decked out van with TVs in it and like a really Hell nice yeah. trailer. And I was like, Hell yeah. Frankie's for sure footing the bill for this tour. <laughs> Bola. Yeah. That I, rocks. I, yeah. I, I the nicest yeah. equipment. I think yeah. it was my friend Brianna yesterday or something the day before telling me that apparently Frankie Muniz had like an auto accident when he was doing all of his NASCAR shit and he got a head injury and he claims he can't remember any of the Malcolm in the Middle days. <laughs> I'm not sure if she dreamt that. Maybe it's just a good way to get out of talking about it. Yeah, why, why wouldn't you, though? It's a classic sitcom. You know, shout out Linwood Boomer. Yeah, <laughs> Always listening. Yeah. <laughs> hey, they might be giants doing all the music for it. It was cool. Did you get that in syndication in Australia? Oh, we had it, like, uh, you know, just running straight away. Yeah, just, just started started popping off as soon as it came out. Yeah, we, we didn't have to wait. We were hot for that Frankie Muniz. I was, I was going to say, I feel like Malcolm in the Middle was like a very big hit in Australia. Yeah, I think it did quite well on uh, Network 7. Yeah. There's something about it to me, too, that's like kind of- I, I can't put words to why that is, but I feel like it is like something about it that's tailor-made for Australians for some reason. Well, yeah, it captivated Josh and I. We it really coloured our uh, perception of America you know, in, in a positive light. Uh. Yeah, yeah, like The Simpsons. Simpsons is huge in Australia. Oh, yeah, yeah. Probably not anymore. I mean, The Simpsons isn't huge anywhere anymore. No one gives a shit. Well, sure, yeah. It, it's so ingrained in the lexicon, all those Simpsons quotes. It was like, you know, second coming of the Bible or something, but it's just dying, <laughs> dying yeah. off. You know, you make a Simpsons quote now and kids just look at you like, what the fuck are you talking about? What? <laughs> <laughs> Didn't you have beef with uh, Matt Groening for a while? Can we talk about that? Oh, I think fake beef. I, I oh, think, it was fake. Okay. Yeah, no, I've met Matt. Impossible before. beef. You know, yeah. yeah, no, it was, it was fake beef. It was you know vegetarian beef. No, uh, I, I like Matt. He's you know he's been nice to me the few times I run into him at Comic Con and uh, but yeah, but, you know I, I think what the fake beef you're referring to is just when his uh, Disenchanted show came out or whatever it's called. Uh, yeah, yeah. Because uh, it was like fantasy characters. It was like a befreckled female protagonist who was like an alcoholic. There was a little like kid cat looking character there was a little green kind of character and it just and it was you know fantasy tropes but kind of about depression it just felt a bit too close to you know what i was doing at the time pure coincidence mm -hmm. and um and also one of like at the time html flowers was like my sort of co-writer and you know my best buddy and you know he was a, an australian based uh, rapper and matt graining on the staff of his show had a different australian soundcloud rapper on the writing staff <laughs> wow so, so you <laughs> know <laughs> so you even ripped that off, Matt. Like it's just a bit close, but and I was worried. But then the show came out and it was quite shit. So I was just, oh, it doesn't matter. Who cares? Ooh, did Matt uh, extend you uh, an invite to Little St James? What's that? Oh, that's the Epstein Island. Oh, unfortunately not. No. Yeah, I I'd love to run into him and just brazenly, Kramer-esquely, just <laughs> ask him, like, is it true? Give us a look at your toenails. How yellow are they? Like, mm. yeah, I don't think Matt's a pedo. I, I, you know, lots of people were on the Lolita Express and probably didn't get hand jobs. You know, they were just a bit drunk and clueless. Like, oh, free flight on a plane and celebrities. And yeah, I, I hope Matt didn't do anything horrible. I, I'd, I'd like to go on the record and say I don't think so. And uh, he seems like a nice man. I've only ran into him once, but yeah, he was. He seemed pleasant. 
Yeah. I do want to ask uh, about your current thoughts on the scene because, I mean, are you, do you feel like you, you've got your ear to the ground? I know you're reading like, you know, Nate's work and I feel like Nate and Jasper are the new it kids. I mean, do you keep your ear to the scene? Do you not really give a fuck about comics? Like, what do you like that's happening and what do you not like that's happening? Well, I love comics. Yeah, no, I'm deeply entrenched. Um, I love them. Um, so yeah, you know, my, my favorite shit right now is like, yeah, Nate and, uh, and Jasper and, you know, those young boys. So it, it amuses me that Pettinger gets thrown in with those young boys despite him being like 33. <laughs> And it's because yeah. they're like the, uh, you know, in the Royal Tenenbaums, you've got like Ben Stiller with his two kids and they're in matching outfits. That's yes. Pettinger and the kids. <laughs> That's a perfect visual representation. <laughs> Maybe wow. Some guy turned up at the zine fair on the weekend, me and Josh were tabling at permanent damage and there was a, a guy in a, in a, a Jasper t-shirt and I, I delighted in accusing him of being a pedophile for, for several minutes. <laughs> um, so like, a Jasper Juvenville t-shirt, you pedo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're, you know, yeah, they're, I love those young boys. They're good boys. Uh, Nate is fantastic. I mean, he's just in the last year, his progression, like his style, like it's just exploding and it's genuinely really exciting to watch. Just this, mm-hmm. this young boy just flowering in front of our eyes. Uh, beautiful. Um, and yeah, you know, I like the J Webster Sharp. It's like crazy hairdresser from the UK who's uh, does these like brutal sort of pointillist porno avant garde kind of stuff. Like Austin English has been getting onto it recently and she's good. And there's lots of European people I love. I, you know, just lots of weird shit names I can't pronounce and haven't committed to memory yet. Haven't beaten them in phonetically. Uh, like Vit Moretta from uh, Italy. She's a oh, fantastic. Yeah. Uh, so underrated. Uh, yeah, no, I'm plugged in. I, I think there's lots of great stuff. I really like that Jasper and Nate are kind of making dirty, kind of silly, entertaining comics. They're, they're plowing them out. They, they love the history of the craft. They just love comics. You can tell that they love comics and they're having a good time and, and they just want to entertain you. So that I'm drawn to that as a fellow entertainer. And, you know, the stuff I don't like is just all the fucking moaning and wanking on Twitter and just, you know, all the cancelosaurus wankers and, and, you know, I can't make money doing comics. I owe it so hard. And so it's just not really like you just you just have to keep making work. And it, it took me like, you know, a long time to build something up. But, you know, like I was saying earlier when I turned 30, like I was, you know, I was starting to get really worried. Like I'd been self-publishing for 22 years at that point And just, you know, so I've wasted my life like. Like, you know, my friends like it and I like it, but will it ever amount to anything? And, you know, and it did shortly after that. I got lucky and got viral on Tumblr or whatever. And, you know, I'm still pushing the rock up the hill and, and trying to, you know, entrench myself and make this, you know, Megan Mog thing like an industry and... And just you know, but it's still the same thing. It's still just me sitting at a table, scratching away and, and drawing and trying to amuse myself and my friends. That's not really changed. But yeah, you know, it's just, I don't know. It's just lines on paper. (laughs) What do you think is the biggest difference between like when you started? I mean, you know, we talked kind of about like, you know, Paper Rad and Picture Box and Buena Ventura. You know, you've kind of been around for a major shift. You know, I feel like the landscape is entirely different now. What do you think the biggest difference is? And do you think it's a positive? Do you think the scene now is more positive or negative than it was when you first, you know, were integrated into it? It's more splintered and fractured. It's just all different groups and factions. And there's too much stuff, So you know. You know. Yeah, you know, I guess not, not gatekeepers, but in the past there were filters for things, whether it be the Comics Journal or Comics Comics or, you know, different publishers. I've got, things are so much more wide open now and there's, you know, yeah, you know, with Patreon you can just do your own thing. 
I feel like we're all just sort of independently doing battle on uh, social media now, just trying to get eyes on our stuff. And yeah, it's just it's just all digital. It's all e-begging now. It's all yeah, swipe comics to try and get people hooked, like a you know drug dealer trying to like, oh come on, try a bit of this, and oh, you like it, oh, you can get books on Amazon, like uh, a bit of money, you can get a bit more. Come on, yeah, it's just all sleazy online uh, marketing tactics now, more so than ever before. Yeah, we're all just carnival barkers by our book. By yeah, but, our book. Well, I, you know, I love that shit. I mean, I, I fucking love the publicity side of it, you know. And yeah, you know, I, I love trying to sell shit. I'm fascinated by it. Always have been. It's, I, I don't think it's a dirty thing to try and, you know, make money out of your work to buy diapers for your children. You know, oh, totally, yeah. It's quite noble. You know, just like a fisherman <laughs> going out on the sea and catching some fish and bringing them home. I'm just... You know, catching laughter and uh, small amounts of money in, in royalties. Uh, yeah, it all adds up. So, do you think you're ever going to do a comic that's not set in the Meg Mog and Al universe? I, I, no, 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 no plans. Um, you know, I mean, I did like a sci-fi thing for Lagon, that like posh French anthology. I remember that. It, yeah, it, it sucked. I, I hated it. I, I could tell that they hated it. Um, Breakdown Press made fun of me about it and just basically said to my face, "Yeah, it's shit in it." And I was like, well, I can't disagree. It was, uh, th- there was too much Michael DeForge style narration in it. You know, it's like sometimes you read Michael's comics and it's like, dude, just write a fucking novel. Like, it's just pictures that don't fit with all these, you know, copious amounts of words. Like, so yeah, I was, you know, relying on this cheap kind of, you know, in- instead of showing what was happening, just telling what was happening. So it wasn't a successful comic, uh, and just looked like shit. Uh, I, did, I did a cowboy comic for Playboy, I think like two years ago, uh, which was a really good gig. I I think I got paid $7,000 to do a six-page comic for their website, which was, you know, <laughs> fucking amazing. I think Pitchfork gave me $1,000 for a four-page comic years ago because they had all this converse money and they were unaware of how poorly you can pay cartoonists. So, they were <laughs> paying me and Schubert and DeForge a decent amount of money. Um, but, yeah, no, you know, I did, yeah, did the sci-fi thing, did the cowboy thing, a um, bit of genre work there, but... Yeah, didn't enjoy it. You know, the cowboy comic looks nice. Like, you know, I really tried to, you know, for the money, I was like, shit, I better paint this up nice and try to give them their money's worth. But yeah, I, you know, I wasn't super happy with it. I, I just like Megan Mogg. I'm comfortable with them. And that's my strength as an artist, like or as a cartoonist for the audience. I keep doing the same kind of thing. Like, you know, if you like Megan Mogg, here's more of it instead of like, yeah. you know, here's Jim and Ben and like, you know. You got to get used to them. You got to get to know them all over again. And the same thing for me. I, I, it's hard to get to know a new set of characters and to give a shit about them. You know, I, I love my characters, so you know, I can just write really easily with them. Like Crisis Zone just poured out of me. I, I can put them into any situation, and you know, I've long wanted to do a sci-fi thing with them. And I, I pitched a TV show recently to like some like ex-adult swim bastard who was like starting his own thing. And yeah, I, I pitched like. Basically, I pitched Wendy by Walter Scott, forgetting that that existed and, and, and also not realizing that he'd actually already maybe talked to this person. I think I may have just given away his uh, TV deal there, but whatever. But yeah, I wanted to do something kind of truth zone like about the, the comic scene, like it'd be like a young woman coming up through the ranks of, you know, SPX mini comics and more into the world of publishing and then animation and just gleefully roasting a fuck out of that world and, and trying to make it interesting to a, a mainstream audience. Uh, it, mm-hmm. It'd just be about art and just, you know, DIY, but yeah, Walter Scott beat me to that. Um, mine would have been better than his, but uh, the producer <laughs> probably like, ah, oh, shit, like, oh, I could have had the better version. But uh, they'd already signed a contract, I think. 
So, because, you know, everybody that you've mentioned in the last few minutes, you know, you got your Walter Scott, you got your DeForge, you've got, um, I forgot who else you said. Oh, uh, Schubert, you know, all those dudes, I mean, DeForge came back, but they went into animation and got their bags. Like, why is it that you've never, I mean, you know, obviously you talk about trying to get shows made, but as far as like, they've actually been like grunts on those shows and, you know, working as artists on those. Why did you never take that path? Did it just never seem appealing to you? Did you just love comics to where you just decided to put all your eggs in that basket? Yeah, just unappealing. Like, yeah. you know, I got offered a storyboarding slot on Sanjay and Craig or something. And I had to Google it. And it's like, oh, it's a child's cartoon about a little boy and a snake. I was like, I don't want to do that. Like, you know, maybe they offer you healthcare and stuff and, like, you get a bit of money. Like, you know, I think The Forge was making, like, 5K a month off of drawing the cups on Adventure Time at one point. Like, but yeah, no, I just, yeah, want to do the comics and apply myself. I, yeah, I remember when I could. I first realized that I wielded a decent amount of power. Like I could, me and Grant could bang out a zine in like a week or two, sell three hundred of them, you know, make like a ten dollar profit on them, and make like three grand in like a couple of weeks. Like just hanging out, getting stoned, like drinking, you know, playing pool at four in the morning, then come and get back to work in the studio, just busting our asses all day and cracking each other up. And it's like, why would I go to work on Sanjay and Craig when I can do that? <laughs> fuck, fuck that. Yeah. And, you know, and then I started having like gallery shows, you know, like Albin was my art dealer and he was like selling like pieces to like, you know, posh heiresses. Like, like I went around with him once and saw him selling like Julie Desette sketchbooks and big stacks of like Hernandez brother pages for massive sums of money to like creepy people in hotel rooms, like just big <laughs> money deals. And, you know, and he, he was selling quite a bit of my stuff to some of the heiresses and, you know, just money was coming in and, you know, it's like, well, if I just keep this up and... You know, there's a show at Gallery Martel in uh, Paris, which is, you know, they, they do like Emile Ferris and Klaus and, you know, Lorenzo Matodi and all the big Italian uh, fucking French artists. And, you know, it's, yeah, it's just it's getting your fingers in all the different pies, the art sales world and the zines and the books and the libraries and just, yeah, cranking it and just it all adds up in the end. And that's why I don't do digital as well. It's because you can supplement your income by selling your originals. Like, why would you keep everything on a hard drive? This breakable, you know, like, oh, no, I've, it's broken. I have to put it in rice or something in the freezer. Like, oh, I've lost everything. Like, fuck, like. I don't want to deal with that. I, I had a fire safe so I can keep all my art in the fire safe and I'm, I'm just fucking indestructible. I, you know, <laughs> even fire can't take me down. Well, that's something like, if I'm not mistaken, it might have been that comics journal interview you did in the past couple of years. Don't you kind of refrain from selling originals because you're wanting to hold on to that shit till later? Not really. I, I I keep all my covers generally. Okay. Uh, I've got I've got Mega Hex completely intact because I was hoping like the Nike CEO would give me a million dollars for it if I blew him, but um never got the <laughs> chance. Uh, never got the chance. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. No, I, I sell quite a bit of stuff. Okay. Uh, gotcha. You know, I mean, yeah. You know, a couple of the Fanta books have just been completely you know picked over, and I just have dregs left. And I've still got all the bad Gateway. I think I sold all the end paper paintings. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I'll sell a page. For like three grand now like just a color watercolor page or like a, a thousand for black and white page i've, I've sold larger paintings for five thousand seven thousand like you know this is all like posh french women in hexagonal glasses like just art market people like yeah the art market's insane and fake and it's not real but if you can do it i mean you, you have to do it so you know i try to dance that dance i had my big museum show in uh, bellevue a few years ago and that was fun and 
Yeah, I feel like a bastard when, you know, obviously just like a couple of punks write to me and like, oh, my partner really likes your comics and, you know, I'd like to get a piece for the wall of our share house for Christmas. And like, do you have a price list? And it's like, oh, no. Like, oh, here it is. Here's the PDF. And they're just like, oh, like, oh, you conceited cunts. Like, it's like, I'm sorry. I've been in the art market for a few years. Like, I, 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 it's just the price now. I don't control this. Are you doing all this or do you have like an agent? I, I have an agent for literary, like, you know, runs all the deals. Like, I had Nicolas Gravel. He's like a well-known, like, French comics literary guy. With, with uh, I was going to say something they're insulting about him, but I, I stopped myself. Um, <laughs> um, no, he's fine. He's a, I talked to him. He's a nice guy. Um, but, yeah, he, he tried to get me in, like, 2013, 14, and he, was, he wrote to me, like, oh, you know, I see you doing well, and, like, you know, I, I can get you a Spanish deal. I can get you a French deal. And I was like, well, you've not done your research, have you, Nicolas? Because I've already got a fucking French book out and the Spanish ones, you know, I think coming out in two months. So, like, you know, come on, you're not really yeah. doing your due diligence here. <laughs> and then this this young woman, she was like 23 at the time or something, wrote to me from Treviso, Italy, and I think she had one client or something in like South America, and and she said like, you know, I'm starting out at this, you know, I, I can get you, you know, whatever Russian and Polish, and just listed all these languages. It was all ones that I didn't have yet, markets I'd not yet uh, penetrated, and I just got a good vibe from her, and I took a chance on her and yeah she's still my agent now she for a time had an office in New York and like she's got staff now I think she works with Coconino and Fanographics doing international licensing she's she's got I mean her clients is like you know she's got Gina Winbrandt Tommy Parrish and Lee Lai and you know just a murderous row of, of talents and um, I think I just you know Jesse Jacobs I just set him up he was like oh fuck I need an agent I'm getting ripped off by my Italians can you help me and like you know yeah well, let's, you know, let's try and get you hooked up with Ale you know, I think a few times I've harassed her and, you know, said, can you come on? Can you help this person out? And sometimes she's like, ugh. But other times she's like, oh, yeah. Oh, Jesse Jacobs. Yes. Um, <laughs> he's, he's good. But yeah, no, she's she's great. She, I, I wish the New York Times would do a big article about her. Just like the, 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 the yeah, the thing that she's built over the last seven years ago. I'm, I'm very proud of her as a, as a friend. And, uh, and she tells incredible anecdotes, really filthy anecdotes. She's a real fucking ball buster and. But yeah, she doesn't. She doesn't handle my animation stuff. She'd love to. She'd love to try and uh, just you know, sell an animation show and get that ten percent. Uh, that's, that's what I give her. I think it's uh, you know ten percent of uh, you know all the dealings. But you know, I don't have to deal with contracts. You know, she'll she goes to the big you know big book fairs around the world, or you know your Angolems and your fucking I don't know, Madrid book fair or whatever, and you know hustles people. And yeah, she's got some great quotes. And she was like, "Boom! I put on the pleather skirt. I push up my tits. I sell the book to." <laughs> won't put the name in there you probably guess but uh but yeah no she's great um great agent i've got a lawyer as well who just kind of like you know he handles the the animation stuff he handles me telling people to fuck off in the animation world he used to be mick jagger's lawyer for a time and uh, i think alan moore's lawyer. Oh. he's got some tales to tell believe you me Mm. But yeah, you know, it's it's pretty low key. I you know, I, I didn't seek out an agent, you know, because I get a lot of people like, oh fuck, how do you get an agent? And do I need one? And I, I don't think you do when you're starting out. Like you, you don't need to worry. But I think w once you get that first, like once you get noticed and you've been in a few anthologies and you get to know, you get like a Fanta deal or well, not Koyama anymore. But yeah, you know, th then you can start looking for an agent. Because um, like Fantagraphics takes uh, 50 percent of uh, international royalties if they sell the book. Because you know they're actively trying to sell the books. So and that's industry standard, I believe. Uh, you know, they take 50% of royalties if they sell it. But, you know, obviously it's more advantageous to have your own agent and just pay 10%. You know, when Arle's setting up, you know, 
because I, you know, I don't have that in, in my contracts. It's like, no, 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 no. You, you don't get the international rights. I, I get the international rights. Because yeah, I mean, mm. in France, you know, after I won the Angle M Award, like I used to get royalty checks for like you know, a thousand euros, two thousand euros a year. And I won the Angle M Prize, and it was like uh, eleven thousand euros. Like, whoa! Like, holy fucking, get a bottle of champagne! Like, holy shit! That's that. You know, the SPX, the Ignats don't sell shit. No one gives a fuck about it. <laughs> uh, you know, the, the, the Eisner, I saw a slight jump on like the Amazon charts the next day, like the mainstream homebound cunts that buy books on Amazon. You know, the ethicless consumer. Um, you know, the, the Eisner seems to sell a few books, but yeah, the Angle Empire can really get you on the end of the aisle, end cap in the shops, and people will take notice. And because, you know, as we discussed earlier, France is, you know, they like comics and they pay attention. They can Care about the awards shows, but yeah, yeah. Oh, business. Oh, it's a business. <laughs> I th- yeah, I think Megan Mog is like an LLC or something now. Like, you know, it's it's an official business. Like for my accountant and stuff, I I don't really deal with it. I just draw the things, and my wife kind of does the business side. The the the, the long tradition of the cartoonist wife having to bear the brunt of the uh, of the paperwork <laughs> and and whatnot. But you know, she's just good at it. I I'm so terrible at anything paperwork or doing invoices. I just I'm so bad at it. So you know, we, we were like a mom and pop business. You know, we used to pack all the packages together, and it's beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah, it's beautiful. If only I could get it to ink the work, that'd, that'd be good. <laughs> That's what those uh, manga dudes do. They've got their mother-in-laws and wives uh, filling in the blacks and doing zip tone. Yeah, I mean, it's not a bad idea. <laughs> I did hire assistants in like 2014 for like Megahex. I had like Tommy Parrish and a few other Australian cartoonists helping out. You know, oh, really? Gave them a couple of hundred bucks or something for like, you know, couple of days here and there of work and uh but yeah they're rubbish I had, to, I had to fire them all in the end just say, oh great job guys i don't need you anymore and just like get out of here you're ruining the pages like <laughs> what were you having them do just watercolors like smooth fills like we'd sit at the table together like i'd have mark around one day or lashner another day and like okay i'm you do all the beaks like i'll mix up the color and if you can fill in all of the beaks on al you know mark you do the couches and i'll do this you know the the walls uh but yeah mark couldn't there was too much marbling in his color he couldn't lay it down flat and uh, same as tommy parish who is a brilliant painter now i think better than me like really just incredible command of lights and shade uh bushes wow beautiful best in the business but at the time tommy was just doing black and white work and you know just sort of learning on the job and terrible terrible applications really just (laughs) just just too much paint going into the area you know when you want to fill an area you want to start at like the left and fill to the right but tommy would start in the middle of the panel and work outwards you know snaking in and around all these different things like you know it's there's a few tricks to it it's uh yeah so never again i'll I'll never never hire assistants ever again Uh, and also you have to pay them you know i mean you you know you have to pay people so cuts into the profits and it felt dishonest as well it just felt like some mainstream hack like hiring assistants and that's what i like about the kind of comics that, that we kind of do and are interested in it's you know all tour vision yeah, you know, there's anything really wrong with it. You know, it's it's fine when people work on stuff together. You know, Grant and I used to write together all the time, and you know, I've done I've done collaborative comics where you you each draw stuff, and it's mostly a wank. But you know, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> 
So um, before we get out of here today, Simon, we did get some questions from our uh, listeners. Uh, if you ever want to participate with the show, you can write in and ask our guests questions on our Instagram account at gutterboyspod and uh, in our Discord, which you can DM us for a link. Um, so first, let's see what we got here. What do we got? How many cunts did we get? There's another one for the count. Yeah, we're going to, we got a lot of uh, questions and anything, I'm going to skim these real quick and anything that we got that's been covered or briefly covered, we're just going to go ahead and skip here. <laughs> I actually remember this starting it off kind of crazy. Instagram user E underscore Esparza666 said, can you talk about when Paul Pope wanted to fight you? Oh, fuck yeah. Yeah, that was a good one. <laughs> uh, so I'll try to keep it succinct. Uh, yeah, I, I was I was in uh, was in New York. This was shortly after Paul Pope had appeared shirtless. So, like him and Dean Haspin, all these macho guys were all shirtless and like muscle men at this uh, Lo- Locust Moon, I think a comic shop in Philly. Maybe was it Philly or Baltimore? Anyway, I didn't have time to get dolled up and dragged up for my appearance, so I just went shirtless and I wrote Paul Pope on my chest. <laughs> you know, it was me and DeForge and Patrick Kyle, and I was there all shirtless. Ah, I'm Paul Pope. <laughs> And then I ran into Paul a few months later in uh, in New York at a, at a signing. And I said, oh, Paul, I, uh, I hope you weren't offended if you saw that. Um, I hope you weren't offended by that. And he was like, no, no, not at all. And, and then I made a crack about, I, I could sense he wanted to get away from me. So I was like, okay, I'll let you get back to hitting on all the underage women here. Because <laughs> <laughs> he, he had... He had hit on my fiance at the time and stuff. So, you know, I felt entitled to make that joke. And uh, mm-hmm. I think another cartoonist also aggressively grabbed my fake boobs at that. Um, that you know, I won't pile onto them. They've already been cancelled for something else recently. But uh, anyway, I was over at the bar later and uh, talking to Paul again. And I saw, you know, he said, uh, would you like me to buy you a drink? And I said, oh, yeah, that'd be lovely. So, he was in the process of purchasing me a drink. And then I said, oh, I hope I didn't offend you earlier again with that crack about the underage girls. And he just snapped suddenly. He, he was holding the drink that he bought for me. So, I was like, do I take the drink or what's happening? But he, was, he started threatening me, saying he was going to knock my teeth out. And the, the funniest line where he said, I came up through burlesque. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, what does that mean? Like... <laughs> Nipple tassels, like what? Like what is that? That's not threatening. That's just funny. And uh, Brandon, Brandon Graham stepped in to save me because he's like, you know, Brandon Graham's like seven foot tall and you know, apparently a threat to the scene and he's unsafe to be around. But I, I consider him a friend and I think he's a decent guy. Um, yeah, he stepped in to defuse the situation. I think Paul tried to fight him and it was nuts. Uh, Heidi McDonald uh, brushed the whole thing off and like, oh, boys will be boys. But it's like, well, he, he did threaten to knock my teeth out Heidi I'm standing there in high heels with a wig on and he's, he's threatening to knock my teeth out but anyway yeah it was very funny um you could tell Paul was just so drunk uh, I think at the time he was supposed to be sobering up uh, I think Charles Burns did a panel with him the next day at the Brooklyn Book Festival and said he was just fucking out of it uh, just yeah yeah good times yeah, good times <laughs> All right. Yeah, I am now very curious about what that means. Like, I grew up in burlesque. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's not, not threatening at all. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. it's not. It's like, what, are you going to give him a, a, a rockabilly mixtape? What does that mean? Yeah. I watched Moulin Rouge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, I, I, like, circus people are kind of scary because they're kind of creepy. Like, there's always kind of a rapey vibe at a circus. Like, you know, like sort of a deliver- deliverance vibe. I, I, I don't know if that's what he was trying to conjure up, but... Mm. Yeah, curious. Anyway. But I, I just pictured Dita Von Teese in a giant champagne glass <laughs> slipping around in a thong. Like. <laughs> That's what I think of too. Uh, yeah. Similar imagery. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Not very threatening. Right. Uh. 
All right. Instagram user Pilco Art has a two-part question. Part one, barring COVID, would you ever consider coming back and tabling at a Melbourne comic event? And part two, festival of the photocopier home-cooked festival indie comic con. Um, no, no, Australia's so far away. It's like 36 hours. Like, you know, I mean, it, it's horrible going back because my mother's like a huge uh, drug addict and like always just floundering. And, like, you know, I love your mom if you're listening. Um, you know, come on, so what are you doing? Um, yeah, no, I, you know, I've got a kid now. I can't, I'm not going to drag a baby over to, you know, meet my high mother. Um, but yeah, I love the festival of the photocopier. That's, that's my show in Melbourne. It's a sticky little zine store. It's been there forever. Puts that on. Never did home cooked. That seems a bit nerdy. It's like there's people there doing like face painting for kids. Like, oh, get your face painted as Spider-Man. And it's like, oh, fuck off. That's not a good show. <laughs> the festival of the photocopiers. It's all zines. You know, there's, there's comics there, but you got all your anarchist fucking zines and crazy shit. And it's a bit more punk. Uh, I mean, yeah, they, they moved to the town hall for a while and me and grant uh html flowers almost lost them the city hall we drank like a whole bottle of whiskey each under our table and we're just like shit-faced and yelling at people and then grant vomited everywhere and they locked himself in the toilets and he wouldn't let himself out and the organizers were really mad at us and me and Michael Hawkins, another friend, had to carry Grant out of the venue. And they were really fucking, with good reason, they were really mad at us. And, yeah, love the festival with a photocopier. It's always a good time. Love Hell it. yeah. Alrighty. Instagram user Sheriff underscore Freak asks, what's your greatest achievement and biggest disappointment of your career? Oh, I don't know. That's a tough one. That's one where you have to like, oh, okay, let's, you know, this is your life. Uh, <laughs> my greatest achievement is just being, you know, financially successful of it at it i haven't had a day job for seven years you know i mean that's that's the best thing this is my day job now and it's it's pretty good i'm a decent boss i'm <laughs> a bit of a cunt to myself but you know i'm all right i'm okay i look in the mirror and like yeah all right you're all right uh biggest disappointment shit I, I, there aren't any really uh, alvin dying alvin killing himself and having 23 different drugs in his fucking autopsy like you know that was a massive loss um <laughs> just losing a friend and uh that wasn't my fault i didn't i didn't do it i didn't give him the meth it <laughs> wasn't me yeah you know it's it's all gravy it's all good it's all gravy <laughs> all right instagram user Niwa asked is it exhausting seeing so many comments obsessing over the morals of your characters I wouldn't say exhausting. I think amusing. I mean, it just points to where we are in the culture right now. Um, Alex Graham had a rough time with it. Things, you know, you know when, you, when you love these characters, it's difficult to see people. But, you know, it does bother me, actually, when people, like, constantly wish death on Werewolf Jones. Um, especially when, like, the, the death stuff with him is kind of based on, like, a friend of mine who had a heroin overdose. Uh, so, yeah, when they're like, oh, I'm glad he's dead. And, like, Arr. it's like, ah, you, you, you're kind of talking about my friend and, like, experience. I've had and, mm. and then you look at the bio of the person and they're all like you know they purport to be like super progressive and all empathy and abolish prisons and like everyone's beautiful and it's like you'd be venomously wishing death on this like character who is a horrible character but it's like you, you, what about the empathy and the rehab and the rehabilitation like you, you, you're kind of just making your, you, you're beclowning yourself uh, so yeah th those kind of cunts always bother me uh, on principle but no I enjoy the content uh, the comments so you know I, I got harassed during crisis zone by you know right-wing morons and left-wing morons and was being called a pedophile at once by both of these extreme factions which is it's just funny <laughs> it's just very amusing 
But the, the ones I would block, like, you know, the, the right-wing cunts team, they, just, they call you a, a slur and then they move on. But uh, yeah, the, the more left-wing hardcore ones, they, they're, they're actively, like, going onto other people's comments and, like, you know, calling other people in. And it just seems like this insidious, you know, what, what, what the kids call cancel culture. Um, yeah, it just seems to have this nasty kind of vibe where they actively want to destroy you and, and turn people off of you and it becomes a crusade. Um, so, yeah, generally during Crisis Zone, I only blocked uh, extreme uh, leftists. The, the right-wingers, I can take it, like, all right, you've called me a fan. It fine, (laughs) whatever. Don't really care. Are you going to do it again? No. All right, we're cool. (laughs) You get one. Yeah, Yeah, you get a freebie. So we had a couple different versions of this question. So I'm going to kind of make a hybrid. But uh, is there anything off limits in your writing? Any jokes that you have to draw the line at? You kind of mentioned earlier not editing yourself, but do you? Have you like read my work? <laughs> question asker. <laughs> no, I, well, no, not really. I think in Crisis Zone, I was controlling myself at the start. Like, my, I mean, I'd run ideas over my wife in the, in the kitchen to, like, well, what do you think about this? And she'd be like, oh my God, no. Like, what the fuck are you thinking? Uh, <laughs> but, you know, so I did pull a few punches, but, but then I just started not caring and just like, ah, oh, fuck it. Let's do it anyway. No, no, yeah, I'm not. I'm not out to offend. You know, that's the thing. Like, I, I try to be empathetic, and you know, I'm always trying to get at something, even if you know something's really offensive. I'm still trying to present some kind of conundrum or something, or hope that people can think about it. And uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's complicated. It's hard to write. You know, satire is difficult these days. It's uh, you know, it's an interesting time to write satire. Hey, you're telling me. All right, Instagram user, friend of the show, cram backward. Shout out to Mark. He asked, hey, Simon, how do you think Werewolf Jones, rest in peace, would rate the following bodily functions from most favorite to least favorite? One, shitting. Two, pissing. Three, coming. Thanks. Uh, Coming, shitting, and pissing, of course. Easy. There you go. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right. Coming's the most pleasurable and like, you know, pissing is more frequent frequent than shitting. So, shitting is a treat, you know. Mm Mm-hmm. It's true. <laughs> Unless you've got IBS and then, you know, it's frequent times a day and it's a bit challenging. But if you've got healthy stools and you're just doing like one log every day or so, like I think Abraham Lincoln, I think he only pooped like once a month purportedly. So, for him, it was a real fucking treat. Yeah. <laughs> Did Noah tell you that? <laughs> no, I, I think I bailed Noah up once and I was like, why wasn't the pooping in the hypo? Why didn't you mention the once a month pooping? Like, it would have fit into the whole depressed Lincoln thing. Like, that's why he's depressed. (laughs) Yeah, Noah really dropped the ball on that one. Mm, Shameful, Noah. Yeah. Uh, Alrighty, the Jamie Yost on Instagram asked, have you ever been approached to work on a big two comic in any capacity? Um... I think I got asked to do like the Beavis and Butthead comic when they retooled that. I don't know, is that IDW or... That's not really big two, no. Um... No, no, never. You know, you see, like, Anders Nielsen did that, like, Wolverine comic a few years ago or something. Yeah, and, and Connor Willemson did a Punisher book. Yeah, I and mean, that was before he was Connor Willemson. I right, mean, that was, yeah. he was like, he was like 12, wasn't he? Yeah, <laughs> yeah super young. <laughs> yeah, no, I've, I've never been asked. I don't get asked to do album artwork either. It's weird. I think, like, Alex Graham's doing, like, a cover for, like, a big sub pop band right now or something. I was like, why aren't people asking me? Occasionally, some loser SoundCloud idiot will ask me, but so, no one cares about you. And that is weird because I feel like you incorporate music a lot into the Megan Mog stories. So 
Yeah, I, I think I just my style doesn't lend itself. Like, I don't feel like a good drawer. Like I can paint good sometimes, but like all I ever do is Megan Mog. So I think people probably assume that I just want to do Megan Mog. Like, mm-hmm. like a, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, no, no big two. I was considering trying to, you know, pitch something at like Image or something at one point and uh, do something like mainstreamy, but I don't want to leave Fanta. I feel, you know, it's like Noah Van Skyver's tarting about at all the different publishers and, you know, getting his end wet all over town. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, going to be loyal, loyal to Fanta. If I were to do a, a mainstream direct market floppy, I'd do it with mm. Fanta graphics. Hell yeah. I, I had the idea before Ed Piscor. Let me put that out there. Mm. I had the idea first. Mm. They before should do cosplayers, more floppies. Before Blubber. Uh, yeah. yeah. I do like getting the end wet. I like that phrase. It's, it's very a nice. good one. Yeah. It's like poetry. It just kind <laughs> of flows out. Phrase. Just, yeah, yeah, really eloquent. Lovely. Okay. Instagram user Nate Garcia Cartoons. What up, Nady? Oh, uh, yeah. Nate asked, as per usual, what did you have for breakfast? Be honest. Shock. Absolute shock. I can't believe he's asking this question. <laughs> no, I, I, before I answer, I must just say I'm still fucking cracking up about you guys introducing him as child cartoonist Nate Garcia <laughs> on his episode of Gutter Boys. That just tickled my funny bone. Uh, it continues to tickle it uh, aggressively. Um, th- yeah. Uh, honestly, for breakfast, I had a cigarette and a can of Mountain Dew. And it's uh, mm. two in the afternoon, 2.33, and I've not eaten anything else. So, oh, shit, okay. Yeah, I rolled up a bit of uh, Norwegian shag, American blend cigarette tobacco. It's made in Denmark. I smoked that with a, a fun-sized can of Mountain Dew. Nice. And I, I really should have eaten. I was going to have a Vegemite and cheese sandwich, but I didn't get around to it. Whew. My babysitter went and had to go off and do something, so I had to look after the baby for a bit of the afternoon, and I didn't get to eat. Oh. That's fine. Food makes you sluggish. That's a tip for young cartoonists. <laughs> Don't eat. You can save money with the with the price of food going through the fucking roof. Just eat less. It makes you sluggish. It, it makes you like, oh, I'm tired now. I've got to digest all this. If you just have a cigarette and some caffeine juice, it just you're fucking flying, light on your feet, prancy dancy, <laughs> boom. Hell yeah. <laughs> I, I always expected you to be a code red gentleman, but I guess I was wrong. No, no, I don't. I usually have an espresso in the morning. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I lie. I did have a uh, an espresso. I got a little Nescafe espresso machine. I had that before the Mountain Dew. So, yeah. Oh. No coffee and Red Bull usually. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, Instagram user Benjamin C. Uh, Montrell asked, "How do you collect and organize the ideas, humor, and storylines for your work?" Kind of a catch-all there. Yeah, so you just have a Larry David notebook and just write things down. Like, you know, just see you know, you'll be doing a poo or in the shower or on the bus or the train or, you know, wherever or lying in the beanbag with a child sweating profusely on top of you. And <laughs> you just have an idea or a memory. Like, oh, that could be applied to a comic, to a situation with these characters. And, you know, I started using my phone notes app yeah, more. That's what like, I'm such a Luddite, but... I think the last, like, maybe eight months, I've actually, like, oh, you can use this notes function on the phone. Like, duh. Like, I'm always a late adopter. But, uh, yeah, no, I just write notes down and just, yeah, bingo, bango, just that'll be a good idea. And then you just, you know, A to Z, what do you want the story to do? What was the start and the middle and the end, roughly? And you just hack it out, do some thumbnails up and just boom, boom, write all the scenes and you're good to go. You know, I'm still just mining the past. Like, you know, I had a horrible upbringing in Tasmania and... You know, I got to start working on Meg's coven at some point soon, and 
Yeah, it's just lots of squalid anecdotes from my childhood that I've been saving up. And I worry I'll run out of ideas because I'm just like a, you know, a dad now. I'm just like a, I think I'm a good dad and a good spouse and, you know, hard worker. And, you know, I don't get up to any mischief anymore. So Megan Mog just becomes family circle. Yeah, well, the joke <laughs> I've made is it's just them like, you know, exercising and uh, taking calls with Hollywood cunts and, you know. Drinking water, that wouldn't be very exciting. <laughs> Hell yeah. All right. Uh, Instagram user D. Coleman Iresp asked, what if the gutter boys might be what finally gets you canceled? I'm uncancelable at this point. If Crisis Zone didn't do it, then nothing's going to do it. Yeah, I agree with that. I don't think <laughs> yeah. we've said anything too too dicey. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. You yeah. guys are just dirtbag leftists or something, aren't you? Yeah, something that like bad. that. Yeah. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> you know. It's... I think, well, Cam, didn't you, didn't you say we're uncancelable at this point? Well, I mean, they've tried to, you know, get mad at us. So, I feel like if we're still trucking along, we're okay. So yeah. there's no canceling anyway. People say, "Oh, cancel culture's a myth," and like it's it's not. But but then you know, Chappelle, Dave Chappelle, selling out fucking stadiums and <laughs> right. You know, you can get your <laughs> grift on and start. You know, like Ethan Van Skyver's owning the libs. Like no one likes Cyberfrog legitimately. They're just buying it to own the libs. Like you know, but he's made like a million dollars and has a warehouse now. He's you know, congrats to him. He's doing very well business wise. He's found his market of dumb cunts that just want to own the libs <laughs> and don't care about arts. <laughs> you know, art or anything. <laughs> the underrepresented demographic of dumb cunts. Yeah. So, you know, there's, there's you know, the, the people like my work because it's kind of horrible and skirts the razor's edge. That's my audience. You right. Know? Yeah. There's always an audience for whatever you're going to do. If you're consistent about it, and you, you'll be okay. There's, you know, people, think, people are always on to the next person to cancel and, you know. And, 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 you know, a lot of it is accountability culture or whatever a lot of the time. It's cunts that deserve to be cancelled, you know. But then there's the ones that don't. It's, you know, it, it really pisses me off when I see people get dragged on Twitter and it's just, it's all wrong information. And it's like, ah, I know what's going on behind the scenes. Like, you're just a bunch of fucking idiots. Like, shut the fuck up. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you can't really cancel, like, powerful people either. Like, yeah. you, you're going to cancel no. Ellen? What, what, what is Ellen going to do? Oh, well, she's going to sit in her giant mansion and collect a billion dollars anyway? Oh, no. Well, yeah, I just need like 500 people that give a shit about my work each year to give me like, you know, 50 bucks, 100 bucks, you know, so I, I can always do that probably. There's always going to be oh, yeah. a bunch of cunts out there, a bunch of horrible, <laughs> horrible people that want to support me. Right. <laughs> and yeah, I run my own business. This is, I'm not beholden to anyone. I, I very purposely made it so I own all my shit. I, you know, I run it all real careful through my agent and, you know, I'm fucking indestructible really. And I'd have so much fun getting cancelled. I just, there'd be no mealy mouthed fucking apology from me. I'd just be going hard <laughs> in the fucking paint. Like, just fuck <laughs> off, you cunts. And as I was saying, it does sell books. I was kind of hoping I would get cancelled during Crisis Zone's fucking promotion. And I could go on Rogan and fucking, you know, hype all that shit up because it sells books. I'd go on fucking Rogan. Or I'd go on Tucker Carlson, like Ariel Pink and his massive Star of David necklace. Like. <laughs> I'd fucking do it. Uh, so before we get out of here today, Simon, uh, this episode, the beginning uh, segment of this episode, we haven't recorded it yet, but uh, we're going to announce our annual Pimp and Simp of the Year winners in comics. So Ooh. who would you say, yeah, is the biggest pimp in comics for 2021 and the biggest simp in comics in 2021? And it doesn't have to be a certain person. It could be like a group of people or a movement or something. 
Well, the biggest pimp, I mean, got to be the piss man. I mean, even you guys got to admit it. He's, he's, those variant covers are popping off. I mean, he, he broke records. I mean, I think he, like, broke, like, hate and eight ball in the 90s records yeah. for, for shifting floppies. Like, so, you know, whatever you think of the piss man, I personally like the piss man. He's really <laughs> pissing it up. He's, uh, you know. I will say this as a spoiler for the beginning segment, which they've already heard at this point. I was actually going to say that because of how well he did in the revitalization of floppy at Fantagraphics that I was taking him out of contention this year. Really? Yeah. He won last year, so he's he's out of contention this year for me. <laughs> Wait, for Simp or Pimp? For Simp. He won Simp of the Year for last simp. year. Yeah. Yeah, no, you gotta respect the hustle there. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so he's he's just out of contention this year for I me. I mean like, yeah, like, I would have said Alex Graham uh, last year, but then I was like, Oh fuck, who you know, this guy's just piss man, pissy boy, piss man. Um biggest simp shit, I don't know. Who do I uh who who's been a real cunt this year? Um <laughs> Oh, I'd say Ryan Sands for that uh for his uh, policing who was liking graphic novels Melbourne and revealing his true venomous nature of uh, taking names and not wanting to be polite to people at conventions that perhaps liked a transgressive joke once on the internet despite not really liking that website but just, you know, oh, that's kind of funny. You know, just that kind of fucking woke, fucking pathetic, cancerous uh, douchery. That's, yeah, he's dead to me now, so fuck you. <laughs> What a fucking simp. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, Simon, where can people find you online? Where do you want people to go? This is uh, plug your shit or don't. Uh, I'm on Instagram, Simon underscore Hanselman. You can buy my books from wherever you want. People are always like, where where does the most money get to you? And it's like, oh, that's virtuous and nice of you, but it doesn't matter. Direct from a bookstore is always nice to support failing brick and mortar bookstores or, you know, fanographics. So you can get it from there. You can go to Amazon if you like. If you don't give a care in, in the world and you love ice, you can you can go to Amazon. <laughs> get it for $5 off and force people to urinate in bottles. <laughs> yeah, I'm on the line. You can just, you know, make a market all out there. Yeah, buy, buy the books, please. Cause that's how I make my money. I don't have a Patreon. I don't, I don't e-bag. Um, just buy the book. Buy it wherever you want where you can save some money if you've got the money. Read more comics. Hell so yeah. Get out there. Get out there, you cunts. Come on, get out there like a Japanese businessman wanking on the train and get out there and have a wank. There you go. <laughs> there you go. All right. Well, Simon, thanks so much for coming on, dude. Uh, thanks for having me, boys. Uh, it's, yeah, it's an enjoyable podcast. I like your HBO sound effects and uh, the <laughs> editing. Um, it's good. I, yeah, I, I, we didn't, it didn't come up, but just last thing, I, I really like what Noah's doing, like you guys and like Kayfabe. And just I, for years, I wanted to do a YouTube channel. Like I saw all the right wing cunts doing it and like, you know, blah, blah, blah comics and building up these audiences. And it's like someone needs to do that for alternative comics. And, you know, because there's no, there's no good discourse anymore. It's like the comics journal message board's dead and. You know, what, people on the beat or Bleeding Cool are talking about comics? No, they're not. There's, there's a sad Reddit thread where people try to talk about alternative comics, but it's just always dead. It's just like those soul rad wankers posting their own fucking links <laughs> and like never gets any play because soul rad sucks. So, yeah, I don't know. It's good. Yeah, you know, you're taking the baton from Robin McConnell and uh, driving it forward and... I don't have time to do it, so I'm glad someone's out there fucking recording all this shit and trying to hype up the scene and build a little cottage industry. So, you know, my, my hat goes off to you, boys. Oh, appreciate it, Simon. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, that was a pleasure.
Alrighty. Well, uh, yeah, as always, we appreciate you all listening and, uh, yeah, stay gutter. Oh, uh, Patreon. Oh, uh, d- 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 what is it? Gutterboys.top. Oh, we'll plug that on the first. Yeah. The first well, we know. We, we, we like, yeah, we like the money. We like yeah. If you, if you want to support us, uh, gutterboys.top. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Now you can stay gutter. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>